Welcome to episode 223 of Crack the Customer Code with the world's leading code breakers, Jeannie and Adam. Adam, did you know that we are not the only ones cracking the code? I've heard rumors. (laughs) You know, we've been cracking the code on customer happiness, but our guest today, Mo Gaudat, has been cracking the code literally, truly taking a crack the code approach to happiness for everyone. Mm -hmm. And he has quite the story. And this interview I found really uh, touching when he talks about the death of his beloved son, Ali, and how that changed his perspective, but also helped reinforce his mission to really help people crack the code on happiness. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, for sure. And he, um, yeah, it's, it's tough because we, we don't get into deep emotional things on this podcast often. Mm-hmm. We've had, we've had a, f- a few different guests have really shared some deep stories, but I, I think it's really refreshing to, s- to approach a topic with such a human side to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mo really not only sort of takes that lesson from his life, but shows how we can all improve from it. Yes, indeed. And he's he's had a really interesting professional background as well. And so you put those two things together and uh, he really figured out, you know, how to actually solve for happiness, which is the name of his book. So I think we should get started. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. Mo Godot is the author of the new book, Solve for Happy. Engineer your path to joy. That's not something you hear every day. (laughs) (laughs) As Google X's chief business officer, his team is responsible for exploring those moonshot dreams like the much lauded self-driving car and providing global internet access by using suborbital balloons. For being at the top of a dream team, though, Mo realized in 2001 that he was miserably unhappy and spirits were far from sailing above the clouds. So he did the one thing he knew to do better than anything. He put his engineering experience to work, and by using data and research, he created an algorithm and solved happiness. Thirteen years later, Mo's algorithm would be put to the ultimate test. After the sudden and senseless death of his son Ali, Mo and his family turned to his equation, which saved them from the depths of despair. With a new sense of purpose and a drive to honor his son's memory, he began the 10 million happy mission designed to make at least that many people realize that happiness is within their control. Hello, Mo. We're so glad you're with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, Mo, I'm super excited to speak with you. And you have such a powerful and unique story. And I want to jump right in and ask you, did you ever think as an engineer you would write a book about happiness? Of course not. I, 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 I never th- thought an engineer should ever write a book about happiness, let alone anything, to be quite honest. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a, an interesting journey for me in terms of you know I'm I'm your typical um, uh, very lucky person who life has given so much to and you know has been so fortunate in life, but. 
you know, interestingly, the more life had given me at a young age, the more unhappy I became. It was, uh, you know, it's it's not unusual, as a matter of fact, you know, amongst my friends who have, you know, in Silicon Valley, who have made amazing achievements, you know, had amazing achievements and made a lot of money and still feel very unhappy. The, the thing about my story, though, is that, um, you know, when, when that happened to me, I was in the Middle East and, and the only way I could find out of my misery, if you want, was to read myself out of the problem. And, and, and surprisingly, as I read through the ton of literature, uh, literature, literature available on the topic, uh, I couldn't find anything that resonated with me at all. I, you know, having an engineer's mind and an executive mindset, if you want, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I, I was like, okay, so can, can someone define the problem statement for me before they tell me what the answer is? <laughs> and, 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 you know, you, you think about it now, um, you know, when I started to do my research on happiness, the the only thing that really made my view different and unique, and, and actually the, the reason why I approach happiness from a very systemic uh, point of view is I approached it as an engineer. I, I, you know, I went on to define the problem statement very accurately. What is happiness? What is that thing we're looking for? You know, what's the algorithm behind it? What? How does this physical form of ours work, right? Can you describe it in an equation so that you know when the equation breaks and then can fix it, right? And and then can you build a, a solid model, a model that you can run over and over and over, almost like a, a high quality piece of software. So every time you feel unhappy, you can go back and find your happiness. And approaching the problem this way was actually a very, very different uh, approach. And I think that's why I ended up writing it in a book. Well, and what really stood out to me when I saw the book was this idea of solving happiness. That's, I mean, to your point, you you had a problem statement <laughs> that you were trying to solve. And I think every other thing out there talks about finding happiness. Like it's there, we just have to find it. So I'm curious, you know, you probably read a lot of that literature that had that thesis. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what do you think are the, 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 maybe ways that you wouldn't recommend trying to go find this happiness and instead trying to solve it. So, so you know, if you use a facts-driven approach to think about happiness, you would realize that you can never find happiness. And, and you know, I know this sounds like a big statement, but, but think of it this way. Every infant you have ever seen in your life, every child, if they're fed, if they're safe, if they're given what they need to survive, if you want, what's their you know, default setting, their default setting is happy, right? Even you and I today, if there is nothing to annoy us, what's left behind is happiness, right? So surprisingly, what happens is you're built happy. This is the operate, you know, operations, operating instruction of your system. You just walk out of that happiness. Happiness is inside you. It's never to be found outside you. And, And so if you, if you're, if you're truly, if you're truly, you know, think of it as a, as your mobile phone, right? You you buy a new one and you take it out of the box and it works amazingly well. Everything's perfect. That's your childlike state of happiness. Okay. Then you start to install weird apps on top of it, right? You install an app that keeps pinging the network and doing weird things. And what happens to your battery life? It drops to four hours and you have to recharge three times a day, right? Now. 
that's exactly what happens to us as humans. We, we engage in the modern world, and in the modern world, we start to believe in certain concepts that make us successful, but make us unhappy, right? And so to be able to go back to that childlike state of happiness, what you really need to do is to move the apps, remove the wrong apps that you installed. And there is truly a very intricate approach of how you solve that problem. It is a problem that you need to solve. You need to think about everything that you installed that was wrong and remove it one by one without removing the parts that are necessary for you to succeed. Wow, that's really interesting. And I love that analogy. And I'm curious in the work, in the fascinating work that you do, (laughs) um, how have you found that this type of approach has helped you kind of deliver on some of the innovations and really think through how the work you do and the products you're developing will inspire happiness for your customers? So there is an interesting, um, you know, conversation I always have with readers of Solve for Happy. You know, some so so my happiness equation basically says you're happy when uh, the events of life meets your expectations of how life should behave. And people will ask, okay, that does that mean I have to lower my expectations to be happy? And of course not, right? What I'm trying to do with Solve for Happy is to offer a um, a, a, a lifestyle that allows you to succeed and persevere in life. I, 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 you know, I always call it, call the people who benefit from Soul for Happy the modern day warriors, people who engage every day in modern life. You know, you and I may not have the opportunity to do the, you know, the eat, pray, love thing. You know, we cannot mm-hmm. go, go away and disappear from the modern world, right? So, so you, you, need, you need to have a track in life where you persevere and succeed and make a difference. Right. But at the same time, you can have that track while you stay happy. Right. And by by having that, you start to realize that, you know, you 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 set objectives and targets in ways that allow you to, you know, move forward and progress in life. But it's really how you react to them when they go out of control that makes you happy or unhappy. So take that and, and put it on. Uh, my personal experience and you'd realize that, yeah, maybe it was easy for me to leave life at a point in time when I've made enough to go and retire or whatever, right? But that's not the answer. The answer is, you know, and and perhaps if I had some quiet place with a nice view, maybe that would have helped me find happiness. But no, the, the answer truly is, can I continue through life and have an impact on life and at the same time be happy doing it? Well, you know, Mo, I think that's a great point. You're talking about you know, sort of being able to cash out and does that set the groundwork for happiness? But what we know and obviously what you cover is that these things we, you know, externally consider the foundations of happiness are not. And if your basic human needs are filled, then often money does not make you happier, right? We we know we know this. You talked about you know, people in Silicon Valley being miserable. Uh, we just saw Sh- Sean Aker speak. I'm sure you're familiar with him. And he, Absolutely fabulous. You know, and, and he and he brought up the concept of or in, uh, some of the research where like 10 percent of the people at Harvard had had suicidal thoughts. Absolutely. And so, so so one of the things that we know that social comparison is obviously part of this issue. Uh, how 
how much does social comparison play into that idea of sort of uh, reinstalling and uninstalling the right apps and having the right <laughs> software and sort of solving happiness? One of the one of the you know uh, so, so so let's let's just go up uh, um, a couple of notches and and come you know come to this point. The point number one is absolutely right. There is a um, you know a ton of research around how you know people get you know it's hard to be happy when you don't have enough to eat right or you don't have shelter or whatever. So but but your happiness increases along the you know the income line. Until you get to a point where you, um, you know, meet the income of the average American, if you want, right? Uh, now, um, once you you get there, uh, you don't get any happier, uh, you know, as, as you go along, right? It doesn't impact on your happiness in any way uh, at all. On the other hand, um, you know, that, that concept of, uh, striving for finding material wealth that makes you happy doesn't work at all. What works is an ability to look at the world as it is and appreciate what you have in the world, right? So, you know, to, to your point, when, uh, when we talk about, um, you know, um, having um, people who are in a very wealthy place and or a very fortunate place and, and not feeling happy at all, those are people who are working through their happiness equation, comparing the events of their life to their expectation of how life should behave, and feeling that life came short, right? It's, it's really weird, but it's almost as if, you know, um, some, sometimes we, you, you're, you'll be sitting in a traffic jam, for example, and you're in a car, it's air-conditioned, and everything's fine, and you're going to get there on time, right? But you're still complaining that, nah, you know what, life, I don't like this. Can you just take the traffic jam away? And, 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 and we, we have that weird, um, I, I, I really find it funny because I don't think that way. I come from emerging markets. We don't, we don't have the co concept of customer service in emerging markets, right? And somehow, the more life gives us, the more we have that idea that it's almost as if, you know, we're buying services from life and that life has given us a promise that it's going to be easy. It's like, you know what, I've been sitting in this traffic jam for the last 15 minutes. I've complained. I called customer service and I told life I don't like this and <laughs> they haven't fixed it yet. Like, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, yeah that, that, that 800 number, they don't answer. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like, yeah, okay, we'll keep you waiting uh, 15 minutes more, right? And, right. and, and, and so if you, if you really look at it and say, hey, the truth of life is we're okay. I mean, there are many, 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 many people in the world who have no food to eat and no shelter, right? If you have food to eat and, sh and, and, and shelter on top of your head, you're okay. Like, seriously, you're okay. Now, we can go better from there, but don't start complaining until you get to that point where life is really hard because li our life mostly is not that hard. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think listening to you and people who may not know your story might be surprised a little bit because... You know, I was very moved by the story in which you opened the book, and you've been really open about the really sudden and very tragic death of your son. Mm. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, how did that really, I think listening to you now, people would think, oh, maybe he's never had something like this, had mm. hasn't had a challenge, mm. um, because you come across as so positive and happy and smiling. And so I'm wondering, you know, what did that event that incredibly tragic event due to test your happiness and your outlook? 
So, so no, no, none of us, I can guarantee you, there is not a single person that you will ever lay eyes on that didn't have a challenge. I, I had many, as a matter of fact, and I, I, I tend to believe that losing my son, Ali, was... A lot of people will tell you losing a child is probably the hardest, hardest test you ever have to go through, and I wish that for nobody. It, it truly just leaves a, an unexpected like a void, void in your heart somehow it's it, mm-hmm. it's it's just it's just and 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 i you know when when we lost Hadi, we lost him to human error so it was a you know a, 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 several mistakes in a very simple surgery and we lost him mm-hmm. all of a sudden like literally from having a wonderful vacation together to losing him was four hours and and it's hard like you can never imagine mm-hmm. but but then something really interesting happened uh, you know um, we we got a phone call saying would you guys mind if we do an autopsy on Ali's body and and you know I looked at his mother and I said Nibel would you mind if they do that and she said the question that truly anchored us in the truth she said will it bring Ali back right and I, I literally found myself almost dropping the phone because once you realize the truth the truth is I could lock my my room and cry for the next 27 years and it wouldn't bring Ali back. You, you understand that? And, and that realization truly is what we mostly in the modern world miss out on. We, we think that by, be, by, by suffering and feeling disgruntled with life and complaining and being angry, it's going to change anything. It doesn't change anything, right? And, and of course, while I wish that life wouldn't have taken my son, it, it did. So mm-hmm. what's the point? What's the point in sitting in a room and complaining for the rest of my life? Uh, you know, sometimes you think about it and you say it's the only choice you have. No, I'm really sorry. I had two choices. One choice was to sit in my room and decay and it wouldn't bring Ali back. And the other choice is to try to do what I'm trying to do now, to, to tell the world about my son's way of living, right? About how he went through every battle in his life while he was at peace. About you know, hopefully trying to make 10 million people happy and make the world slightly a slightly better place and so make my son proud and make him feel happy that we'd managed to turn this into something good, right? And it wouldn't bring Ali back. Even if I do all of this, it will not bring Ali back, right? But it will make the world a slightly better place. Wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah, it truly is. And you talked about choice, and I think people, you, you really hit on something there, Mo, that people feel like they don't have a choice. Oh, yeah. And I choice. think it's because they've been programmed or, Absolutely. you know, it's what they think they should be. But, you know, when it comes to what we think, there are some things where we don't have a choice in this life, but when it comes to what we think, we always have a choice. And I think your message is powerful. There are few things in life, okay, I, uh, you know, that, that happen to you the rest you're in charge right and and specifically when it comes to happiness and unhappiness i try to differentiate between two very interesting human conditions one is what i call pain and we all call pain and the other is suffering right pain whether physical or emotional is a good thing right it helps us survive you feel and you know you you, you cut your finger you you protect it that's a good thing right 
uh, you you even emotional pain you know you um you i you know, if i if i was worried about this podcast i would study you know and read a little bit about you know your style and so on the emotional pain of worry is good it makes me then, then you'd really be in pain but then you know the interesting the interesting side of it is what would have happened afterwards right so imagine that emotion the difference between emotional pain and physical pain is physical pain you don't control it happens to you you protect yourself it ends it goes away right you, you the, the need for protection ends it goes away with emotional pain we have a weird feature installed in us as computers we have a pain on demand feature which is you know what you guys can recall any memory from 17 years ago and torture yourself with it on demand it's like you know i i my wife told me to go left on uh, um, you know when we were driving to florida 17 years ago and i told her you know i know what i'm doing why are you telling me to go left and i can bring that up now and say she doesn't trust me right and i can torture myself with it and it's so funny when we do that because i can torture myself with it for the next 17 years and it would have zero impact on the real world it wouldn't make her apologize. It wouldn't erase it from, you know, uh, uh, the, the space-time continuum, and it wouldn't erase it from my memory. And it will have the only impact it will have on the world is it will make me suffer. How clever is that? It's a choice. It's a choice to say to myself, this is a total waste of time to think about something that happened 17 years ago that you cannot impact in any way or change in any way. It just makes you unhappy. How stupid is that? And yet we do it. All the time. All especially, the time. Dri- especially driving in Florida. It really can't drive. Being <laughs> <laughs> in Orlando, I can vouch. But no, of course, it's, you know, it's amazing how we don't step back and how humans mm-hmm. don't step back and sort of look at them own, their own selves objectively and look at these things you're talking about. So we're going to help, I believe, 10 million people <laughs> step back and so. look at themselves and reprogram so. it and tell what our, tell our listeners what they should know about the hashtag 10 million happy mission. Yeah. So I, you know, I know it sounds a little unusual, but uh, we, we were surprised by the loss of Ali. It seems to us looking back that he sort of knew he was going, uh, which I know sounds really strange, but for, for the last six weeks before Ali left, the only question he asked his friends was, what happens to us when we die? Which really is, you know, like how did he feel that? And and so, and so, you know, and, and actually one of the things that kept us positive is that the last conversation he had with one of his friends, his, his response to her was, well, I'm optimistic, right? Which was really a very interesting message that, you know, he, he sort of tells us, hey guys, I'm at peace, don't worry, right? But, but forget about that. Ali, before he left, he sat us all down and he spent his time almost like an old grandfather's, you know, somehow dictating his will. He, he spent, uh, you know, he didn't talk much in general. That day he spoke a lot. He told myself, uh, his mother and his sister, what he loved about us, you know, how he, we had an impact on his life, how grateful he was that we were part of his life. And then he asked each of us to change something about the way we do things. And from me, he basically said, you know, Papa, I, I know that you've been doing well with business and technology. 
I want you to do something that has an impact on the world that depends on your heart a little more. Okay. And, and I didn't get it, to be honest. I, I just, you know, I smiled, I hugged him and I said, thank you for all the wonderful things you said. After he died, four, four days after he died, we had his memorial and everyone walked into his memorial uh, crying. And they came to me, you know, um, his mother and his sister, and we hugged them and we explained to them our model of happiness. We explained to them our understanding of death and life. And they would calm down, they would smile, and they would walk around our home feeling happy. If you actually did not know what was going on, you would think that this is Ali's graduation party or something, right? And, and so people started to come to me and say, you have to write this down. You really have to write this down. And so when I wrote it down, I realized that this was not what Ali was asking me for. Writing it down is the model, right? I realized that he was telling me, go out there and do what you do as a businessman. Try to spread this message, try to make it big, try to get as many people as possible to understand it and give yourself a target. Why, why do you only give yourself targets in dollars, right? And so I set myself a personal target that, you know, to, to try and make 10 million people happy. I took a six month sabbatical from Google and I'm dedicating my entire life for that, uh, you know, for as long as I can. And, uh, you know, my hope and my dream is that if we can reach 10 million people, then they will reach 100 million people and we may actually be able to make a difference to the world. Now, of course, as a human being, as one person, I cannot do that alone. So for our audience, I ask that, you know, if anything I said today makes you happy or if you watch some of my videos and they make you happy or if you end up reading the book and it makes you happy, spread it forward, right? Tell everybody, you know, tell, try to make a difference, try to make that your mission as well. It doesn't, it's not about selling books. It's about making 10 million people happy. Hmm. Well, you have made two people happy today. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and I think you have many more when this comes out. So we so appreciate you being here and sharing your story. And uh, it's, it's truly, truly inspiring. And it makes me feel like I know your son too. And I think that's, uh, he sounds like a very wise Please. person. So thank you for sharing him with us too. Yes. Thank you. And we would love for everybody to find you and, and, you know, pay this happiness forward. So what are the best ways that people can find you online? I'm, I'm at solveforhappy.com. So this is the website where you have most of the resources. There is also facebook.com slash solveforhappy where I keep, uh, you know, everyone updated on events and all the new, uh, you know, releases of videos or whatever. And youtube.com slash solveforhappy has all of the videos that I've ever done, including a very um, highly uh, recommended, um, you know, full day class at Stanford University that explains a lot of the concepts of uh, Solve for Happy totally for free. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, there are quite a few ways and uh, uh, whichever way you prefer, just go ahead and enjoy. Well, thank you so much. And we will be sure to share all of those links in our show notes as well. So Mo, continue spreading the happy and, and thanks again for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, Mel. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. It's time to become an engineer, I think, Adam. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we can crack the code on happiness and, you know, just it's a great reminder that there is so much that is our choice. It is about the choices we make instead of feeling like things are being 
done to us, that life happens to us, as he pointed out. Well, right. I mean, it's how we frame our life and how we frame our choices and perspectives and our comparisons to other and all of these different things, but it's all within our control. It is all in that supercomputer between our ears, Jeannie. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and we can also uh, make sure that we're spreading the word as he asks us to do. So I hope all of our listeners will take this and, and move forward and follow the hashtag 10 million happy and really get to know the, the message that Mo is bringing out to the world. Yes. Be happy, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> be happy. Would you? <laughs> and with that. <laughs> All right. On that note, well, yes, I'm going to hop in my suborbital balloon and just take off now. So. <laughs> well, we hope you were happy today listening to Crack the Customer Code. We sure are happy to have you here. We are also a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. If you like C-Suite Radio, then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs. And it's all on demand. Get insider secrets by going to csuitetv.com. We really appreciate you having here. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of your customer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.